Let's talk about book 18 of Homer's Odyssey today. We have some interesting things to talk about. We have a fight between two beggars, Eros, sometimes called Arnaios, which is his actual name, and Ethan, or Odysseus, as he is actually known as. We'll have a confrontation between Odysseus and Melantho, sister to the goat herd Melanthios, who was so rude and kicked us in the hip. We also see Eurymachus attempt to throw a projectile at Odysseus, and yet he will miss, symbolizing that he is off the mark in his reasoning and justice. Symbolizing that in this world, if you want to hit the mark, if you want to make the right choices, and this is something we talked about quite a bit in seminar yesterday, you must use your own what? Yes? Your own mind, your own judgment. Right, 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 right. If you're going to hit the mark, you have to aim for yourself. That's right. So last time we talked about Melanthios, he's a goat herd. He kicked Odysseus in the hip. He's going to have a very bad end soon enough. Don't worry about that. We met Argos. He's a dog. Lived on a poop pile of from oxen, wagged his tail, saw his master, died. Master, what is it that the master shed one single bed of? Sort of like their sides, but in a very different situation. Yes, a single tear, a single tear. And then we saw Antinous. Antinous was compared to a beggar by both Eumaeus and Odysseus, and was the first person to throw a footstool at Odysseus. Man, he's really getting accosted by these people, really getting accosted by these people. So let's make things worse. Enter Eros. Now recall that Eros is actually called Arnaios, but he is called Eros because he is like Iris, the messenger of the gods. And so the kids call him Eros. It's sort of a disparaging title saying that he likes to run messages from the suitors, so he's just like a uh, messenger god S. So he immediately addresses Odysseus with insults. It doesn't take very many lines into book 18 for him to do that. And Odysseus calls him strange and tries to deflect his attention. He says, you, uh, even though you're large, and you are a beggar, and I'm a beggar, and uh, the description of Eros is that he spends his days eating the food of others. So he is truly a sort of, he has made a profession of begging, truly speaking. And so Odysseus tries to deflect this guy's attention. He doesn't really want to mess with him. The reason why he doesn't want to mess with him is that Eros, if he fights Odysseus, will show to some extent how strong this beggar Odysseus is. If Odysseus has to defend himself, you might want to think about how he'll actually take some personal pleasure in this. Eros is a beggar that is eating the food from Odysseus's house. Does Odysseus necessarily want to keep him around after he's king anyway? No. And who has Eros been helping in any case? The suitors. So Odysseus would actually, in his heart of heart, hearts, likely love to wallop. Eros, this foul, loathsome beggar who has the audacity to speak poorly to Odysseus's guests and serves the suitors who are attempting to take his wife and kill his son. Sure, sure, sure. And, and again, we see with this Arnaios, this Eros, the, a theme that we know very strongly. He's very large, but he's not very strong. And Odysseus looks pretty weak and old and haggard. And yet when he takes off his shirt, and girds his loins with it, all of a sudden his thighs and his shoulders will stand out. What does this tell us about appearances? What is the theme that we know so well, that we talk about almost daily? Yes? Nothing is as it seems. Nothing is as it seems. So this Eros reminds us a good bit of who? Who is another person who was large and superficially judged the people in front of him and abused them in some way? Which monster am I thinking of? Polyphemus, very good, very good. And so Eros challenges Odysseus to a fight. 
and says he will knock his teeth out. And so this is a tricky situation for Odysseus. On the one hand, great, he'd love to knock out Eros' teeth. In fact, he has to make a decision. His decision is this, just knock his teeth out or lay him out flat and leave him cold in the dust, which means kill him with a punch. Who was it we recall from the time between the Iliad and the Odyssey who actually killed a man with one punch? Yes? Achilles killed Thersites like that. The only problem with Odysseus actually killing this man with one punch is it might arouse the what's of the suitors because of the strength of this so-called beggar in front of them. Might make them what? What's the word we use when you suspect something? Suspicious. Might make them suspicious. Well, the suitors, low character as they have, <clears throat> they're like a fight between two people who have less than us? Oh, that's something we definitely want to see. We don't like <clears throat> this new beggar. He, he talks smack. He comes around and asks us for things we don't want. And Antinous, he got under his skin. We don't like him very much. Eros, we don't really respect him, but he, he's so like Thersites. We'd just love to see them fight because it can't possibly have a bad, bad outcome for us. We'll have to see. And so Antinous says whoever wins this fight gets to say will in fact be given a goat paunch, which means like a stomach full of meat, which apparently was something very tasty and a delicacy for them, though it sounds a little bit what to us? A little gross, a little gross, right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so, ah, Antinous also lays out a threat to Eros. If he loses, he will be sent to King Echetos. King Echetos is known for being a rather nasty guy to guests. Does anybody recall what he's known to do to his guests, yes? He cuts off their ears and their nose. Cuts off their ears and their nose, and if you have a British translator, their privy parts. The privy is a, <laughs> perhaps you know, it's the loo for, um, <laughs> for British people. Privy is where private things happen. Private things like going to a restaurant. That's what the privy is. And so, he will cut off everything that is dear to you. He is not a very whatable sort of king. Hospitable. Hospitable. All right. Here's a picture of Odysseus in front of this house. We notice how large that thigh is. They'll notice soon. We see those. And I mean, if you look at this picture a little bit, you'll notice some nasty little things. You see these nasty little serving maids gossiping amongst each other, saying, ooh, I like Eurymachus. Ooh, I like Amphinimus. Ooh, I like Antinous. It's like what they really like is death due to disloyalty. So, we will, and so look also here, you can see money changing hands between the suitors. Uh, just a lot of people up to no good in this stencil drawing. And, oh, and now, all right, all right. And so you don't need a review here. We saw that Eros immediately challenged Odysseus to a fight. Antinous makes it happen. The suitors circle round. All right, whoever wins this fight, may always eat with us, but whoever loses is forever banished from here, will in fact be sent to King Echetos, we learn, line 79 to 87 and 18. Odysseus makes a very intelligent decision here. He makes the suitors swear not to help Eros if he gets down on his luck. This is very important because even though Odysseus can take on any of these guys one-on-one, -on -one, they swarm him and start kicking and punching him, they could easily kill him. Him versus 100 suitors, not a good, not a good outcome. 
he would not have a good outcome from that, even though he is Odysseus, yes? Even Achilleus makes the claim that he cannot fight the entire Trojan army during the Trojan War. If he could see them one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one at once, potentially he could, I mean, he is much stronger than any of the suitors, that's for sure, because he's much stronger even than Odysseus. But if he were unarmed, surrounded by potentially armed men, it would even be a bad situation for him. I mean, it'd be interesting to run that computer simulation to see how many guys he finished off, but it just, it probably wouldn't end up going that well. Uh, it definitely wouldn't. In any case, Telemachus, now alongside Antinous and Eurymachus, guarantees this oath. So he's stepping up more and more. He's taking more and more control of the situation. He's taking more responsibility. He says, Antinous and Eurymachus, good princes that they are, will guarantee this oath. And so will I, Telemachus. So... Less and less, he looks like a sniveling little boy who can be bullied. More and more, he's looking like a regal, soldierly king. Well, Odysseus knows what he's got to do. He's going to fight one-on-one -on -one against this beggar. He needs to make sure not to kill him so that he's not too suspicious. So he girds up his clothing. And the suitors remark at how powerfully he's built, 66 to 74. He's apparently got very large thighs and very wide shoulders. And so they couldn't see this under his rags. He looked a little bit amorphous. It's like he had a giant hoodie and sweatpants on. But now he pulls the sweatpants up and you're like, dang, look at those thighs. And then he takes off the hoodie and you're like, dang, look at that chest. And that's sort of interesting because you might know that powerlifters and bodybuilders often, because regular clothes don't fit them very well, wear lots of sweats. But once they put on their spandex or skin tight stuff, you're like, oh my goodness. Uh, and y'all are too young probably to have seen the movie American History X. But people say that about Edward Norton. He's like kind of a small looking guy, but there's a very big scene where he takes off his shirt and then everybody's like, wow, look, he's jacked, as we say, jacked. In any case, let's keep moving. Oh, look at that, remember the thigh. All right, here's a funny picture of Odysseus walloping heroes. I just like this picture because Odysseus looks for sure old and craggly here. Eros looks very surprised at what's happening. He's already trembling. Who does that recall to us from book three of the Iliad, who stepped out in front of the Trojan army, and when he saw the man he was to face, trembled as if he had just seen a snake, and went green with fear, yes? Paris. Paris, Paris, Paris. So we have another coward who puts on fronts here. Very good. All right, the fight. Odysseus considers killing Eros, as we've said, but he holds back. He takes a hit to the shoulder, no damage. Again, he takes another hit. He's been hitting the hip. He's been hitting the back by a footstool. He's now been hitting the shoulder. Has he received any damage from any of these blows? No. Indicating the strength or weakness of these particular individuals with whom he is now having contact. The weakness. It's almost like the physical things they throw at him have as little effect on him as the what's they throw at him. The insults they throw at him as well. Good. And so he levels Eros. He hits him in the neck, under the ear. I just want you to kind of poke yourself here. Poke yourself here. This is the place that you take your blood pressure from, or rather, not your blood pressure, but you take your pulse from. Y'all ever done that before? Just kind of poke it a little. Does it hurt? Does it hurt when you do that? Ow, ow, it hurts me. It hurts me. I don't like it at all. So imagine getting hit here. Also, your neck connects to your what at this place? Your jaw. That's a knockout blow right there. Also, if you catch somebody with a hook on their jaw, your jaw is not supposed to go left to right. It goes up and down like your knee. 
So if you put enough force horizontally on a jaw, what will happen? It will definitely dislocate. And so you will be slack jawed. And so that's nasty. It's nasty. It's a nasty hit. It's a good hit. Does Eros deserve it? Absolutely. He, he lives for free every day, just like the who. Just like the suitors. And yet still, it's not enough for him. Well, he's going to get his here. The suitors, <laughs> they watch his jaw break, and they watch him drool blood. It's coming out of his face. The suitors, this is how much they care for the people that serve them. They are dying with laughter. They're all like, oh, this is the best day of our lives. It's so funny. That one beggar, he's so dumb, but he punched the other beggar in the face. Ha, 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 ha. It's funny because they laugh. Who will soon share the fate of that beggar? But even worse, they will. Yes. Yes. And so Odysseus takes Eros outside and leaves him there, warning him not to try to be the king of the strangers and beggars. He says, who are you to act like a king? Stay out here, lest next time it be even worse. Oof. And so the suitors toast to him, and they unknowingly wish for their own destructions. Because... What do they say, lines 112 to 116? They say, may the gods grant you whatever you want most of all. And Odysseus must be sitting there smiling with a cat-like smile thinking, oh, little do you know what I want most of all. Can you imagine what he wants most of all at this particular moment? For the suitors to die. Very good. So he's like, please toast your own death, you reckless fools. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right. And so they say that they will soon take Eros to King Akatos. And so Amphinomus wishes Odysseus health. And so we have a very touching moment here, sort of a touching moment, sort of a cold moment. Amphinomus talks to Odysseus, and Odysseus responds by giving a speech about the helplessness of man. It's actually it's a very good speech. I should probably read you a little because I, I do agree with it. He says, so Amphinomus says on line 123, book 18, Your health, father and stranger, may prosperous days befall you hereafter. They will. <laughs> but now you are held in the grip of many misfortunes. And Odysseus can only be thinking that in only a day, Amphinomus, how quickly things will change. And so very famously, he responds, Amphinomus, you seem to me very prudent, being the son of such a father whose excellent fame I have heard of, Nisos, that is of Dulichion, both strong and prosperous. They say you are his son, and you seem like a man well-spoken. So I will tell you, and you in turn understand and listen. Of all creatures that breathe and walk on the earth, there is nothing more helpless than a man is. Of all the earth fosters. For he thinks that he will never suffer misfortune in future days. While the gods grant him courage, and his knees have spring in them. But when the blessed gods bring sad days upon him, Against his will, he must suffer it with enduring spirit. For the mind in men upon earth goes according to the fortunes of the father of gods and men, day by day bestows upon them. For I myself once promised to be a man of prosperity, but giving way to force and violence did many reckless things, because I relied on my father and brothers. Who is Odysseus saying as a beggar is responsible for his current plight? He did many reckless things. Who is responsible? He is. He takes self-responsibility. Therefore, let no man be altogether without the sense of righteousness. But take in silence the gifts of the gods, whatever they give him. That means good and what things? 
good and bad. Even so, now I see the suitors, their reckless devisings, how they show no respect to the wife and despoil the possessions of a man who I think will not for long be far from his country and friends. He is very close by. But I hope your destiny takes you home, out of his way. I hope you will never face him at the time he comes back to the beloved land of his fathers. For I believe that once he enters his halls, there will be a reckoning. Not without blood between that man and the suitors. And so he says, in bitterness, you seem like a good guy. You have a smart father you, who's prosperous and strong. You seem like the same sort of guy. But you need to understand that fortune changes how for man, quickly or slowly, very quickly. And in fact, the suitors, it's going to change tomorrow, which means very quickly. It would be best for you if you were to leave these reckless men, because what is it we know happens to those who are reckless, whether they be a Gislas, whether they be Odysseus's crewmates, whether they be the suitors? What will happen? Yes? They, die. they will die. Uh, they will die. They will die. Something terrible will happen, right? However, sort of like in the Old Testament, if you've ever read that bit from Exodus where Moses speaks to Pharaoh and he's demanding, let my people go. The Old Testament, God turns the heart of Pharaoh to stone, does not have him listen to reason. Same thing here, very similar rather. Athena binds <coughs> Amphinomus to what he's done. It's almost as if it is too late for him to make a change. And yet I wonder if with a thinking person it is ever too late to make a change. It is as if, as if he has already cast his lots. Uh, something I'd be very interested in talking about in seminar is if Amphinomus were to leave, would that be injustice or justice? And would he then deserve not to die? Or does he already deserve to die because he has been with the suitors this entire time, even though he seems to be of a superior quality to them? Very odd question. In any case, he will actually be the first kill of Telemachus. He will take a spear in the back. Oh, another good picture of Odysseus looking like an old man beating up Eros. Very good, very good. All right, Penelope then decides to do something that she has not done for some time and has never really had the will to do. She decides that she wants to go down and talk to the suitors. She doesn't generally like to present herself to them. Now, her serving maid, Eurynome, counsels, uh, Penelope, yeah, you can do that, but you might want to clean yourself up some. You have tear streaks all over your face. You're, um, you're looking a little uh, ragged at the moment. And Penelope says what she often says in this sort of moment. She says, well, my looks were taken away the moment that Odysseus left. And I haven't looked beautiful since then. And sorrow has tarnished my face. Well, Penelope does eventually take the bath. Athena then puts her to sleep and makes her taller, thicker, and paler. Paler, indicating that she is of rich stock because she does not have to work outside for any particular reason. And when she descends the stairs, the suitor's knees buckle. Oh, oh. Apparently Penelope looks rather how to them. Rather comely, rather. Beautiful. Very much beautiful. And so, book 19. Book 19. Oh, do I not have a slide for you there? Ah, yes. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Two things that I should have said that I didn't say. After Penelope then descends the stairs to chastise 
the suitors. She says some typical things. She says, who is it that comes to a woman's house and eats her food and takes from her and expects to marry her? You all should be bringing me gifts. And in fact, Antinous responds to her, that's true. We should all bring gifts. And any man who wants to bring gifts should bring gifts to Penelope. And Odysseus is sitting back there looking like a beggar, smiling at the ingenuity of his wife. And she's about to get some what's for this house? Some gifts and treasures, and to become enriched off these men who just take, take, take. Well, Odysseus then runs into Melantho for the first time. Melantho is the sister of Melanthios, and she has some nasty things to say to Odysseus. She calls him a foul beggar. She says he's just there to eat their food. He shouldn't even be there anymore. And Odysseus actually <coughs> speaks to her rather curtly and angrily. If I can just open the book and look very, very quickly and find this. I will tell you. Ah, yes, here it is. She says, wretched stranger, you must be one whose wits are distracted. These are lines 327, or that's where it begins. When you will not go where the smith is at work and sleep there, or to some public gathering place, but stay in here, speak out boldly and at length among many men, and your spirit knows no fear. The wine must have your brains, or else always you are such a man in your mind, a babbler of nonsense, like Thersides, my goodness. Are you so brave because you beat the vagabond Eros? Take care, lest a better man than Eros stand up against you. Ooh. One who can pummel you about the head with his heavy hands, beat you, draw blood, and chase you out of the palace. Who's that in Ithaca who can do that to Odysseus? That would be nobody, right? It would be himself. <laughs> in any case... Then looking at her darkly resourceful, Odysseus answered him, I think I will go to Telemachus, you, <clears throat> and tell him how you are talking, so that he will cut you to pieces. Speaking in words like this, he fluttered the women. They went on their way back into the house, and the knees of each one went loose with fear. They thought he was speaking the truth. I think that's so interesting, because they run away when Odysseus threatens to tell who, what? To tell Telemachus what they've done. But... Why would they fear Telemachus? He must now be the what of the house. So he must be somebody who is capable of enforcing the rules. Is that correct? My goodness, that means that they must what his authority to some extent. Respect his authority. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, Odysseus then after this irritates Eurymachus a bit. And then Eurymachus throws a footstool at him, but he misses. He misses the mark. He ends up hitting one of the wine-holding servants and knocks the wine on the ground. Yes. It's as if the suitors caused what in their own immediate surroundings? Chaos. It's like they caused their own societal destruction. It's as if they bring about their own destruction through their own reckless actions. Very, very, very good. All right. We'll start book 19 tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit about what irritated... Your Remicus then.